0: 102 years old, when my father walked into her nursing home room, She'd been suffering with dementia for the better part of a decade. She'd forgotten the, the names even of the people in her family, and my father walked into her room and said, uh, Mama Rose, is there anything that you'd like me to read to you? We knew that her time here on this earth was dwindling. She responded and she said, Psalm 23. And so my dad got out his Bible and started to read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And something in my, my great grandmother at the age of 102 just awakened and she repeated every phrase, said every phrase along with my dad of that beautiful poem. I mean, there, it was something in her that just wouldn't let it go. Uh, That's the way that this poem functions, isn't it? That's the way that this song works. And in a day and time where a song stays at the top of the billboard charts for a few months tops, can we pause and think about how remarkable it is that this poem, this song, has been a number one hit for thousands of years. There's something about being human that connects to this poem. And we go, listen, even if we're not quite sure about what God is like in our head, our heart longs for Psalm 23 to be true, doesn't it? And so even in pop culture, you hear this psalm. You've heard it in Grateful Dead songs, Pink Floyd songs, U2 songs, Kanye West songs, and of course, the great Coolio <laughs> sang about Psalm 23. There's something about this poem, isn't there? How many in this place have, have memorized that? and In Resonate, you can raise your hands too. Yeah, many of us, many of us. But I wonder if we've really stopped long enough to, to gaze at it and to let it read us number of years ago, I had the chance to go and serve um, on a mission trip in West Africa. And I went with a worship pastor and we were leading a group of missionaries. And on our way back, we arranged to spend one day, 24 hours in Paris. And so we Googled, how to do Paris in a day. Hey. There were seven things that we were trying to hit. I mean, we were running from one site to the next and we got to the Louvre. Has anyone been there? What that beautiful museum. 38,000 pieces of art in that museum. And my friend and I, we navigated our way through the Louvre and we spent two hours at the Louvre. You should spend two days at least. So I've technically seen the Louvre. I mean, there I am with Mona Lisa. I mean, uh, it's my best Mona Lisa face right there. I've been there, I've seen it. But I haven't really taken it in. And I wonder if maybe we've approached Psalm 23 the same way. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to invite you to to gaze at this great poem. To pause. To go as it were to, to each phrase and to just stand in front of it. To let it wash over you. To open your head and your Heart to Jesus and to say, Jesus, what might you want to pour into my life through this great ancient poem? If you have your Bible, you can open Psalm 23, it's page 474 in the pew Bible that's in front of you if you want to follow along there. We're going to be looking at just one phrase of this psalm this morning. A psalm that was probably written by David when he was the king over all of Israel. He was uh, removed from his role as a shepherd long enough to not be embarrassed about it anymore, but also he was um, aware enough of what he'd walked through that he's able to, to tie this metaphor of what God is like in his former life as a shepherd together. And so he begins a Psalm and he says, the Lord is my, what? My shepherd, I shall not want. And we're just going to focus on that one phrase this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David um, sort of writes and choreographs this whole psalm around this metaphor of God as what? Shepherd. Shepherd. It wasn't new to David. This was an ancient idea. It's written about in Genesis where... Jacob is blessing his son Joseph, and he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my what? My shepherd all my life long to this very day. This idea of God as shepherd was something that wove its way throughout the Israelites' history. It was just a part of their normal vernacular. Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, will come along and say, I am the good shepherd. The early church would pick up on this imagery. Tertullian had a picture of Jesus carrying a sheep, a shepherd, on his chalice. Kenneth Bailey, the great New Testament theologian, writes this, he says, on no image does the early church seem to have dwelt with greater delight than this of Christ as the good shepherd, bringing home his sheep. Now, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God is our shepherd and we may go, oh yes and amen. I want God as my shepherd, but there's another side to that coin. If God is your shepherd, then you and I are what? Sheep, right, which isn't exactly a compliment. (laughs) I read a story a a number of years ago, 2005, there was a number of shepherds in Turkey and they had taken a, a breakfast break and they had 1,500 sheep. And they were off eating their breakfast and they saw one of the sheep walk up to the very edge of a cliff and step off and plummet to its death. And they thought, that's not good. And then all 1,500 sheep followed. Every single one of them plummets down to the edge, to the bottom of this cliff. Now here's the good news, here's the good news. Only 450 of those sheep died because the billowy pile of wool cushioned the last thousand of them. That's awesome. Repeat after me. I am a sheep. I am a sheep. Philip Keller, in his great little book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, suggests that sheep require more intentional care than any other type of livestock. I am a sheep. I am a sheep. And here's what David says that, that he's a sheep and the Lord is his shepherd, and that because. God is his shepherd, he shall not want. So David's saying, listen, if we can position our lives to receive all that God wants to pour into our life as our shepherd, we will live a life, as the NIV translates it, without lack. Here's how we'll say it together this morning. The identity of your shepherd determines the satisfaction of your soul. The identity of your shepherd determines the the satisfaction of your soul. I mean, don't we wanna push back on David a little bit and go, you don't lack anything, David? Nothing that you feel like you need that you don't have? I mean, David, haven't you ever heard Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones? I, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, I try, I try, but, but I just can't find satisfaction. No, David? And I think what David would say, I think he would push back on us, and I think he would say, listen, you are looking to find satisfaction in your successes and in your circumstances, but the reality is that the way you and I are designed, the way that you and I are programmed as human beings, the only thing that can truly satisfy your soul is your shepherd, And so the question isn't how much have you accumulated and how much have you accomplished? The ultimate question for everybody in this room that we must contend with is who is your shepherd? The Apostle Paul centuries later will echo David's claim by saying, and my God will supply how many? Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. See, you are a shepherd, or you are a sheep. And as a sheep, you have a shepherd. You really do. Nobody in this room is without a shepherd. The question is simply, does that shepherd satisfy? For some of us, um, CNN or Fox News is our shepherd, It's where we go to find guidance and to find sustenance. For some, it's Google or Apple is our shepherd. For some, it's relationships or family or sex or success or material possessions. We all are looking to something to fill our soul. But as St. Augustine so poignantly put, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Anybody want to say amen? (laughs) There's something about being human that longs to know that we are cared for by the almighty God. The Lord is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want So let's dive a little bit deeper because my guess is if you're tracking with me, you're going, okay, well, Ryan, how does God become my shepherd? What does that look like to live in that type of a relationship? Because I know I shouldn't want, but sometimes I want. And so how do we step into this life that David talks about here? I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) Because look at what David says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, And he uses this word anytime you see Lord in your Bible in all capitals. Have you noticed that? They're translating, the translators are translating from the Hebrew word Yahweh. Will you say that with me? Yahweh. And David could have chosen a number of names or words for God. He could have chosen Elohim and it would have read, God is my shepherd. See, Lord is a name. Yahweh is a name. It's, It's not a title. Elohim, God, is a title. So it's like my kids calling me Ryan instead of dad, which I'm not exactly fond of. But but David's saying, Yahweh, he's calling God by name, and Yahweh was God's covenantal, providential, kind, committed name. Only the Hebrew people called him by it's as though David saying, this God, this God, Yahweh is good through and through. And in the New Testament companion text to Psalm 23, which is John chapter 10, Jesus will echo this. He will say that I am the what? Good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And if you're going to live in the reality of Psalm 23, friends, the first challenge, the first hurdle we have to get over is we have got to, in the very fiber and fabric of our being, trust that God is good. We've gotta trust that he's good. think of how many times David would have had the chance to doubt this. The death of a child, betrayal by his family, Loss of ministry, loss of influence at certain times in his life, guilt from bad decisions. I mean, we don't want to whitewash this to the point where we just have David quoting this psalm, uh, disconnected from all of his real everyday life. David walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he can say, no, 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 the Lord, Yahweh, God's good, kind, covenantal purposes towards me. And my guess, is, my guess is that just like David, there's some things that you bring into these spaces every single Sunday, and we can sing songs like, "All my life, He has been faithful." And in the back of your mind, you're going, "I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Where were you, God, when that death happened? Where were you when the marriage fell apart? Where were you when?" And you fill in the blank? Let's not whitewash this to the point where we don't actually wrestle with it. David claims and Jesus claims that God is good, only good, always good toward you. So here's the question. What do we do with the things that don't seem good? What do we do with those? Well, here's the two things. First, you've got to understand what kind of world you actually live in. That we live in a world where Jesus will say in John chapter 10 the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. We live in a world where there is a very real thief, there's very real evil. Paul will say that things come into your life through the world, the fallen world that we live in, so we experience sickness and death, through the flesh. Anybody in this room made bad decisions? Okay, yeah? And through the devil, that people and spiritual beings have freedom. And so there's some things that have come into your life, hear me on this, that have not come from God. Now, now, God is sovereign, yes and amen, but that does not mean that God controls and choreographs every single little detail. What God's sovereignty means is that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And for some reason, what he wants is to give us freedom. So sometimes, We experience things that we go, that hurts. And God says, yeah, I didn't want that for you. Because I'm a good shepherd. But the second thing, so so we've gotta wrestle with the kind of world that we actually live in. But the second thing we have to wrestle with is the reality that God is only and always good to us. And Jesus proves why you can believe that sitting here today, regardless of what you're walking through in life. Here's what he says. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for his sheep. He goes, I don't know what you're going through this morning. And and you may not always understand my ways, Jesus says. But you never, you never, you never have to doubt my heart. Because if he went to the cross for you, you can trust that he'll do good towards you. It's one of the reasons I love that song that we just sang, the goodness of God, all my life you've been faithful. Walking through just a difficult season right now and that that song is on my playlist and it's on repeat because I just want it to wash over my soul. God, remind me of it. So maybe if you're walking through a similar season, maybe you just put it on a playlist and go on a walk in the morning and just let it wash over you. He's good all the time. Do you trust that? I mean, really? Do you trust that? Here's the way David continues. Yahweh is my shepherd. Is, as in right now. Not was and not will be, but is currently in this very moment, my shepherd. So David's saying he's not just somebody else's. He's not just the, the church's shepherd. He certainly is that. But what David's saying is he's, he's my shepherd. Personally, in this moment, right now, my shepherd. And I think what David would say to us is we have got to, if we're going to live in the reality of Psalm 23, we have to learn, and it is a learning, friends, how to enjoy God's presence. Not find God's presence because God is present everywhere you go. Yes? It's becoming aware that God is present. And it's learning to discipline your heart and your soul to enjoy it. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, he said, Abide in me and I in you. Literally, you could translate that. Make your home in me. Why? Like part of the narrative I grew up believing was God wanted me to make my home in him so that I would have absolutely no fun in life. <laughs> Anybody grow up with that view of God? Yeah, come to me and I'll take away all your joy. The reality is this is just the opposite. Why does he want that? He says, these things I've spoken to you, abide in me, I've spoken that to you, that your, my joy may be in you and your joy might be made full. So think about this, just close your eyes for a moment. The God of the universe who created it all, who spoke it all into existence, is inviting you to make your home in him that you might taste his joy, that it might be transferred to you and that you would walk in the fullness of it every day of your life. If I'm you, I might be asking the question, yeah, but how? How do I make my home in him? If you have your your notes out on the very um, opposite side of the sheet of paper, if you get that out for just a moment, I just want to point out to you how you might do that, what that might look like. Gary Thomas, in a great book that he wrote a few years ago, said that there's typically, there's nine ways that people connect with God. And, And these are typically just wired into you, your personality. As some of you connect with God best in nature, some, some connect best through the senses, or some through rituals, or some through uh, aesthetics or, or, or solitude, and sort of being alone. Some connect with God through activism and fighting for justice. Others connect with God through serving. Some connect with God through worship and passionate praise. Others through contemplation, and some through the mind, through the intellect can I encourage you this week, take that list, pray through it, and ask Jesus, Jesus, how do I typically connect best with you? And is there anything on this list that you might be inviting me to just to try? Just see how it works. Here's our tendency. Our tendency is to know sort of which way we connect with God, and then we want to impose it on everybody else. This is the way you should connect with God too. None of these are better or worse than the other. They just simply are. This week, would you ask Jesus, Jesus, how have you wired me to connect with you? And what might it look like to carve out one hour this week to spend with you in one of these ways? He is, right now, my personal shepherd. If we're going to live in Psalm 23, we've got to learn to enjoy his presence. And then finally, David ends with this phrase, I shall not want. In a moment of honesty, can we just all agree that that's way easier said than done? Did you know that you live in a world right now where most uh, researchers would suggest that you see somewhere around 5,000 advertisements every single day? And every single one of those, I don't know how they get that study, that's a lot of advertisements, but every single one of those ads is designed to do one thing. What is it? Sell you something. And in order to sell you something, they've got to make you want something. They've been wildly successful with my 10-year-old son who knows that he needs an iPhone right now. He might die without it. You guys should pray for him. I mean... He's not gonna get it, shh, don't tell him, but I mean, I mean, he's convinced, right? And we do the same thing. We do the same thing as adults. Oh, We can mask it a little better, right? We're a little bit more subtle, but we live in a world, and we often buy this lie, if I had more, if I had bigger, if I had newer, if I had shinier, then I would be oh. Okay, we echo Rockefeller's quote when he was asked how much money would be enough, and he responded, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's our cultural moment. That's the world that we live in. And David's inviting us to something completely different. He's inviting us to learn how to be people who receive God's provision. Friends, God is pouring out into your life. The question isn't whether God is pouring out or not. The question is whether or not you have a life, have a heart, have a soul that can receive all that he wants to pour into it. I love the way that David puts it in a different psalm. Psalm chapter 37, verse four, he says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you have ever prayed that and thought it's not working? I'm delighting in you, but you're not giving me what I want. Here's what I would say to you. Gaze longer. Drink deeper because David is drawing out something transcendent about what it means to be human. Here's what he's saying. Whatever you delight in long enough, you will eventually desire. And if we haven't desired God, it means that we haven't delighted in God. So let it wash over your soul. Let it shape who you're becoming. And maybe there's this, phrase, there's this phrase that just has stuck with me as I was reading through this psalm, and I just sensed Jesus saying to me, listen, if I don't provide it, you don't need it. And What if we started to just say that to ourselves? In the health scares and situations that we're walking through, in the broken relationships that we're trying to navigate, in all the wants and all the I can't get no satisfaction, what if we just had this anthem as followers of Jesus, as Emmanuel faith community church? What if we just learned to say, if Jesus doesn't provide it, I must not need it? We might actually be able to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no faith. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The light of his glory and grace. Number of years before uh, my mom passed away, she made my wife Kelly and I um, a quilt. And uh, I absolutely love this quilt. Every time I I break it out and sort of snuggle up on the couch underneath it, um, it doesn't just keep me warm, but it also reminds me of my mom. It reminds me of her creativity. It reminds me of her smile. Reminds me of her love. Sort of like just snuggling up next to her. I, I, think, I, I think Psalm 23 is intended to be that same type of covering. It's designed not just for us to look at and go, isn't that great, isn't that wonderful? And we can memorize it and sort of keep it at an arm's length from a distance. But I, I think this Psalm is designed to be a covering for us, to remind us of what God is like, to remind us that he's good to remind us that he's trustworthy, to remind us that he's providing right now in this moment, whether we can receive it or not, to remind us that he is God and that we are his sheep. So during this series, can I invite you? Maybe each day you begin your day by sight quoting Psalm 23. And maybe before you go to bed at night, you say it again as the bookends of your day, cover yourself in it. We need it. We long for it to be true of God. And the good news is, it is. So friends, don't just read Psalm 23 on your deathbed. (laughs) Learn to dwell in it every day that God gives you life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Would you stand with me, Emmanuel Faith? As we close our time, I just wanna close with a prayer together that we would say. So would you join me in praying this declaration back to God? Jesus, you are my shepherd. And I am one of your sheep. I trust that your intentions toward me are good. I believe that you will provide for my every need. And this week I choose to receive your gracious and abundant care, amen. And so Jesus, we do, we wanna live as your sheep in your fold, under your goodness, to trust your leading, to receive your provision. Help us this week, we pray. It's in your name and all God's people said, amen, amen.